Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, August 20th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Greetings, everybody. This has been a pretty rough week for me personally. My mom has been battling cancer for couple of years now and she had to go into the hospital this week. So honestly, I haven't been keeping up with the financial markets and what's going on really anywhere near the extent that I usually do. So I'm going to hit a few important data points and then I want to spend a little bit of time talking more in depth about a rather bleak anniversary that we had this week. Now, gold has repeated a pattern that we've seen several times over the last six months here. It gets beaten down by some news that gets everybody all juiced up about the Fed monetary policy tightening, and then gold manages to claw back. We got that big sell-off with the jobs report a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Gold fell to, gosh, down around $1,700 an ounce, but it has rallied back to knock on the door of $1,800 an ounce again this week. Now, I don't think this is any sign that the markets are suddenly seeing the light, uh, but I think the first on-target CPI report of the year did give a little bit of new life to the transitory inflation narrative, and that gave some hope that maybe tightening isn't quite so imminent, so people bought back into the gold market. I think there was also a lot of um, you know just taking the opportunity of the low price to buy, and I think there's also a pretty strong safe haven bid with uh, gold right now, given the COVID Delta variant creating a lot of anxiety, and of course we've got the big mess in Afghanistan. But there are still some strong headwinds blowing against gold. Uh, They are mostly speculative, of course, involving what the Fed may or may not do. We got the minutes from the July meeting uh, this week, and that sent the dollar to a nine-month high. Uh, given that, again, it's kind of uh, pushing this tightening narrative, and that dented gold's rally. I'm going to get a little bit into the Fed minutes here in just a minute. As far as inflation goes, I talked a little bit about the CPI last week. I don't think you can really say anything about the actual trajectory of prices based on one data point. I mean, after all, a 0.5% increase in one month is still big, even if not as big as some of the other rises we've seen this year. We really need to see a couple of more months before we can declare that the uh, inflation tide has turned. Meanwhile, there was some other data out that really undercuts the transitory narrative. The producer price numbers came in hotter than expected for the seventh straight month. PPI was up 1% in June. The projections for July were for a 0.6% increase. That's still a big number, but cooling somewhat. Instead, the July PPI was once again 1%. It not only exceeded expectations, but it exceeded the upper bound of expectations. Year over year, the projection was for a 7.3% increase in PPI. Instead, it charted at 7.8%. For the year, producer prices are up 6.4%. If you annualize the numbers, it gives us a projected 11% gain in PPI on the year. 
Now, CPI, of course, has lagged behind the producer prices uh, significantly. Uh, Producers have been reluctant to pass on price increases. And I think maybe to some degree they bought into the transitory narrative. So they're thinking if we just hold out, uh, we won't have to raise prices. But it's pretty clear that even if the pace of inflation cools, these price increases are forever. It's not like we'll wake up one day and prices are going to be falling. Look at lumber. It went crazy high, and then it fell back to earth. But it has stabilized significantly above what it was before we had the big price shock. So the question becomes, what do producers do with these price hikes that they're experiencing? They can just keep eating them. If they do, corporate earnings will take a big hit. That will take the air out of the stock market. And that's not how the corporate world rules. So I think the most likely bet is that companies will start passing on the higher prices uh, to their customers, uh, you and me. I mean, they've already been doing that to a large degree, but I could see this even accelerating in the coming months. I wouldn't be shocked if we see some more big jumps in CPI as we move toward the end of the year. Speaking of inflation, I heard this interesting data point. The National Association of Home Builders confirmed U.S. home prices are rising at their fastest pace in history. Year over year, the price of a single-family home is up 22.9%. We didn't even see an increase like this during the housing bubble. I mean, it's almost as if there's another housing bubble. And this should come as no shock, given that the Fed is following the exact same policy that blew up the first housing bubble. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Maybe we're dealing with some insanity here. I don't know. Anyway, speaking of the Fed, the uh, minutes did indicate that the central bankers are starting to talk about tapering their asset purchases or winding down QE a bit. Now, this also should not be a surprise. I mean, think about this. When the pandemic started, the Fed launched what we at the time called QE Infinity. More than a year later, QE Infinity is still going. Last week alone, the Fed bought another $84.5 billion in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. The Fed balance sheet now stands at a record $8.343 trillion. So, heck yeah, they're going to taper. We just don't know when or by how much. This is key. Tapering doesn't mean the Fed quits buying assets. It just slows down. It's not ending the inflationary monetary policy. It's just inflating a little bit more slowly. It's like a faucet running full speed into the bathtub. If you turn the knob halfway back, water is still running into the bathtub, right? It's still going to fill up, and eventually it will overflow. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, we might go from QE infinity to QE massively big or something like that. That's what the markets are so focused on. That's how the Fed is supposedly going to fight inflation, by inflating a tad slower. And of course, all of the Fed officials are falling all over themselves to tell us tapering does not mean interest rate hikes. No, no, we don't want you to think we're going to raise interest rates. And how long can a taper really last? Right now, the U.S. government isn't issuing any treasuries. It's not borrowing any money. We have hit the mythical debt ceiling. The government can't borrow it all right now. It's getting by on what they call extraordinary measures. That's basically a lot of accounting. So we're going to have all kinds of political theater over the next several weeks. And when it's all said and done, they'll raise the debt ceiling and they'll start borrowing again. 
and they're going to have to borrow a lot. When Uncle Sam starts selling bonds again, it's going to need the Fed's big fat thumb on the bond market. I would say there's a fair chance that even if the Fed does taper, it will have to abandon the taper once the government really gets into borrowing again. Or if Powell isn't lying when he says that financing government spending isn't really in the Fed's calculus at all, they don't really consider that, which I don't think is true, but that's what he said. And But let's say that's true, and they don't pivot back uh, to support the borrow and spend. Well, watch out for the bond market. Okay, so last Sunday was an important anniversary. Fifty years ago, President Richard Nixon slammed shut the so-called gold window and eliminated the last vestiges of the gold standard. So basically, we've now had 50 years of monopoly money in the United States. I mentioned this briefly at the end of last week's show, but I wanted to give a little bit more of the history and some of the context. It was August 15, 1971, when Nixon ordered Treasury Secretary John Connolly to uncouple gold from its fixed $35 price and suspend the ability of foreign banks to directly exchange dollars for gold. During a national television address, Nixon promised that this action would be temporary in order to, quote, defend the dollar against speculators. But, of course, this turned out to be a lie. As the saying goes, there's nothing as permanent as a temporary government program. The president's move permanently and completely severed the dollar from gold and turned it into a pure fiat currency, or as I call it, monopoly money. Nixon's order was actually the end of a path off the gold standard that really started back during President Franklin D. Roosevelt's administration. On June 5, 1933, uh, was really the beginning of the slow death of the dollar when Congress enacted a joint resolution erasing the right of creditors in the United States to demand payment in gold. The move was the culmination of other actions that were taken by Roosevelt that year. In March of 33, the president prohibited banks from paying out or exporting gold, and in April of that same year, Roosevelt signed Executive Order 6102. A lot of people call that the gold confiscation order. Um, It was touted as a measure to stop gold hoarding, but in reality, it was a massive confiscation scheme. The uh, order required private citizens, partnerships, associations, and corporations to turn in all but small amounts of gold to the Federal Reserve at an exchange rate of 2067 an ounce. In 1934, the government fixed the price of gold at $35 an ounce. This effectively increased the value of gold on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet by about 69%. That's clever, right? Now, the reason behind Roosevelt's executive order and the Congressional Joint Resolution was to remove constraints on inflating the money supply. The Federal Reserve Act required all Federal Reserve notes to have a 40% gold backing, but the Fed was low on gold and it was up against that limit. By increasing its gold stores, basically taking gold from the public, uh, and, and then declaring a higher exchange rate, the Fed could circulate more paper money. Um, it's important to note, there's, we, we did a report on this gold confiscation notion, and they didn't actually ever come with guns and bang on people's doors and take their gold. There was, uh, I don't think there were any actual arrests or prosecutions. People turned their gold in voluntarily, uh, which is kind of sad, but that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. 
So while American citizens were legally prohibited from redeeming dollars for gold, foreign governments maintained that privilege. In the 1960s, the Federal Reserve initiated an inflationary monetary policy to help monetize the massive government spending for the Vietnam War. And then, of course, you had President Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. So you had the uh, twin pillars of warfare and welfare. With the dollar losing value due to these inflationary policies, foreign governments started to redeem dollars for gold. They're like, we don't want these worthless pieces of paper. Give us the gold. So that's exactly how a gold standard is supposed to work, right? It puts limits on the amount of money, uh, on how much the money supply can grow, and then it constrains the government's ability to spend. If the government prints too much money, other countries begin to redeem the devaluing currency for gold. This is what was happening in the 60s. As gold flowed out of the U.S. Treasury, concern grew that the country's gold holdings could be completely depleted. That would be less than ideal. So instead of insisting on fiscal and monetary discipline and making sure that the paper money wasn't devalued, Nixon simply severed the dollar from its last ties to gold, allowing the central banks to inflate the money supply with no restraint. And really, here we are today, right? When he announced the closing of the gold window, Nixon said, quote, let me lay to rest the bugaboo of what is called devaluation. And he promised, quote, your dollar will be worth just as much as it was today. Now, obviously, this was also a lie. The dollar has lost more than 85% of its value since Nixon's fateful decision. The purchasing power of a 1971 dollar is equal to about 15 cents today. Meanwhile, the dollar value of gold has gone from that $35 an ounce to just over, uh, well, actually, we're at uh, almost $1,800 an ounce today. So in percentage terms, we're talking about a 4,757% increase. That's considering gold at a price of $1,700 an ounce. Now, I mentioned this last week on the show, and somebody commented, oh, gold is a 50-year investment now. You know, it's really annoying when people don't carefully listen to what I say. That's not what I said. I'm pointing out a trend that isn't likely to end, at least not until the fiat currency inevitably collapses, which every fiat currency has eventually done. My point is, there is no reason to think that gold is suddenly going to start losing significant value given this monetary scheme. The scheme is in place. Until that scheme changes, we're going to continue to see the dollar devalue and the price of gold become more valuable. Yes, gold is going to go up and down, but if you look at the long-term line, it's going to be moving up. So it doesn't have to be 50 years. I'm just saying you have to look at it at a longer term than you know the last six months or a year. So anyway, that really is the story of uh, Nixon and uh, his uh, closing of the gold window. We basically turned the U.S. dollar or finished turning the U.S. dollar into monopoly money. And uh, here we are today, you know, worried about massive inflation and massive money printing. Nothing's changed. Nixon set this into motion and we're seeing the impacts of it. And eventually this is not going to end well. And, and I think that's what Peter, people like me, that's what we're talking about. I don't claim to be able to predict what's going to happen next month or next year, but I can look at this, see that it's unsustainable, and look at the long-term trajectory. So that's why I'm perpetually bullish on gold as part of my personal investment scheme.
So anyway, um, to celebrate this anniversary, Shift Gold's been running a special this month. You can uh, take $50 off an order of $5,000 or more. All you have to do is mention Nixon 50. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes page that will also go to a page that gives a little bit more detail on that. So take advantage of it. This is a good time to buy gold. I think the price is low, uh, given what we're seeing with the monetary policy in the scheme. Um, and of course, you can always talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. Uh, they can look at your own portfolio, your investment strategy, your plans, where you are, and they can help you see how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. So with that, we'll call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at iTunes. Uh, we're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, of course. Uh, we're on Stitcher. Links to that kind of stuff is on the show notes page. I appreciate you listening to the show, and I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>